0: Hello all and welcome to the first ever episode of Athletics Weekly's new and exclusive podcast. It's based off our Ask the Athlete video series, where we dive into the lives of world-class athletes through questions sent through by members of the public. What makes them tick? What's their mentality? What processes have made them the athletes and person they are today? On this episode, we go back to a recording we did in February with Steve Cram. 1,500m Olympic silver medalist, world and two-time European champion, commentator and coach. He chats to AW about commentating on Usain Bolt, Mo Farah and Kelly Holmes, how he'd like to face Jakob Inga Brixton in a 1,500m race, what advice he gives give to young athletes and
1: so much more. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Athletics Weekly's Ask the Athlete. Um, i like to think of myself still as an athlete, except uh, maybe I'm going to have to run some Masters events to really qualify. Uh, obviously, most of my athletics career... Actually, by the way, I'm Steve Cram. Did I say that? Um, was many, many years ago. Um, 800, 1,500, and uh, occasional dalliance into longer events. Uh, Olympic silver medalist, world champion, and... Um, World well, records, uh, thankfully, in my events, which uh, seems such a long time ago now. Um, but to be slightly more relevant, I'm still the British mile record holder. Mo hasn't quite got hold of that one yet, but uh, we'll talk about that in a little while because a bunch of the guys running at the minute certainly got a very, chan- very good chance of um, of uh, pushing me completely into history books. For some of you, though, I guess um, the, you'll know me more as. BBC's athletics commentator for the last 20 years or so and you've been sending in your questions which is uh, great and I'll try and get us through as many as I possibly can Um, and thank you for doing this by the way because it's given me uh, um, an afternoon of um, really concentrating on athletics a little bit it's good that we've got um, a fair bit um, back again at the minute, Uh, indoor season is in full swing so I hope you're enjoying some of that Uh, and hopefully um, European Indoors coming up soon as well, we can uh, look forward to some British medals in that one. Right, so the first question is actually about uh, commentating, asking me about my favourite all-time moments as a commentator. (laughs) There are lots, actually. Um, And I I did mention I've been commentating for well over 20 years now, three, four years with Eurosport and Channel 4 before I joined the BBC. And I've actually forgotten (laughs) an awful lot of stuff. Uh, that, that I've commentated on I, I think if I had to pick out a few um, I would say uh, there was a people might not remember this but European Championships uh, one I, I used to really enjoy commentating with Bren and I, Brendan Foster I've done a lot of commentaries with him and I think one of the first major ones I've done because David Coleman had retired after Sydney and although I was part of the BBC team then in 2000 2002 Paula Radcliffe ran a an incredible race in the European 10,000 meter championships, and pouring rain in Munich, um, and it, it was uh, just outside 30 minutes. And I just remember how exciting, or excited Bren got watching that, and both of us. And you know, that was a, that was just a, a. It's it's always good when you get. A distance event, and I'm going to come onto that in a second because because I have to I, somewhere I get asked to pick my all-time favourite. But a distance event, where you get you get time to get into, particularly 10,000 or a marathon, um, and, and certainly that one was 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 a memory. Kelly Holmes, 2004, uh, dramatic uh, crossing the line, uh, you know, just winning. Um, in the 800, went on to win the 1500 as well. but such a tight finish. Tight finishes for Comte is a brilliant. Love them. Um, uh, been a few of them over the years and then I think Bolt was is the one that I probably enjoyed commentating on most because you just never knew what you're going to get with him. You kind of you know, knew he was going to win but but, but you know, he ran so many brilliant times and world records and things and was, was never more than, than entertaining. Um, my favorite one with him probably though was um, 200 meters in London. I don't really know why because don't, I'd already commentated on him many, many times. And then I'll come on to my my best all-time favourite was was Mo, um, 10,000 metres in London. For the same reasons I mentioned about Paula's race in 2002, and of course we had a marathon in 2003, but that night in in London, uh, Super Saturday, so Mo's 10,000 came off the back of what was already happening that night. The atmosphere was just incredible. So it's not just the race that you're commentating on, it's in the stadium, what's going on, the atmosphere, how important it is to the British viewers and to us as well. So I, I'd say that probably just comes out on top. Uh, Mo went on to do other great things, obviously, and you know, the last few years have been lots of other highlights, but, but I still think 2012 and, and that 10,000 metres on the Saturday night was, was number one. Uh, next question, uh, it's quite funny, this says, Steve Cram, Steve Ovette and Seb Coe dominated middle distance <laughs> running. Yes, we did, thank you. Uh, Can anyone beat the East African nations uh, now? Yes, of course they can. Um, I mean, I'm doing this just off the back of a, a couple of incredible runs indoors, a new world record in the women's uh, 1500 indoors, and nearly a world record in the men's 3000. We've had some big performances already from the Ethiopian runners uh, this winter. I'm sure more to come. Uh, we had some, of course, from uh, the likes of uh, Chepigai and Gidai last summer. It's—it's. It, it, it's, we're in the middle of a, an incredibly... Um, progressive stage of, of distance running 800 up to up to sort of 10,000 and on the roads as well some of that to do with shoes I'm surprised I haven't got a question in here about shoes but um, so I'll maybe just skip by that one the question is can, can you beat Afri- Af- East African nations of course you can um, you know we've we've got plenty of great athletes around who who go in there knowing that it's going to be tough and you have to be good and you have to train hard and work hard and you know, you know the times that you're going to have to run if it's, you know, if you've got to run sub-330 for 1,500 metres, um, you know, the likes of Jake Whiteman doing it for us and uh, the Inge Britsons. And on the women's side, obviously, Laura Muir has been flying the flag for, for, for a while, but uh, others in there and Cluster Health and others. Um, and even at 5,000, you know, uh, Paula was uh, a bit of a trailblazer before that, and she didn't worry about racing Kenyans and Ethiopians. I coach Laura Waitman and we've been really trying, you know, she's still learning the 5,000, but you, but you haven't got to be afraid of, of who your competitors are in the sense of what they've done. You have to then use that as the leverage to try and get yourself up to that. It's not easy. No one's saying it is. Um, but you cannot start with the, with the baseline of, we can't beat them. You know, you, you have to, and particularly when you're training for championships, You know, championships are not diamond leagues. They're not one-off hard races, time trials, um, you know, you can, you can prepare really well to get yourself ready to go to a championships and, and you contend with rounds, heats, etc. And when you get to the final in the 1500 and the 800, maybe less on so the five and the, in the 10, but you know, the, the, particularly the eight and 15, there's almost everybody's in the finals got an opportunity. We've seen that so many times in, in recent years. So, uh, you really have to think uh, about how good you are, not how good the others are, how good you need to be. Um, if I could run any of my races again, which which would it be and why? Um, it'd be nice to to replay a couple of the ones which I did very well in, because sometimes you can't quite remember it enough to, and thankfully, uh, you, you get a chance to look back on stuff. If it, If the question means... What would I? Which races would I run? Because I did them. I didn't do them very well. One stands out incredibly easily in that sense, which is uh, the 1500 final in the 1988 Olympics. I wasn't well prepared for it. I got injured just before the Olympics, and so had a chunk of time off. I pulled the calf again, and that that wasn't ideal preparation. I ran a, a heat of the 800. Uh, thankfully, I was I had been selected for both, and and I, I ran a heat of the 800 to try and get a bit of race fitness back um, having had five six weeks uh, I think about five weeks off leading into the games and hadn't really been able to train but nonetheless I still thought I was I, I still thought I was capable of, of winning I was hoping to and certainly get a medal. Uh, heats and semis were, weren't too bad and I, I felt better as, as it went on and I don't know. I think in the final, you just, you know, I'd had a whole career of, of doing right things in the right time, and, and I just was very hesitant. Not just me, uh, Peter Elliott was with me. Other um, Peter did win a medal um, ahead of me, uh, but we got beat by Peter Rono. And no disrespect to Peter Rono, but I think that was the only major race Peter won in his whole career. Uh, and what a one to win! That's brilliant, um, but also none you know neither peter elliott nor myself would ever really have thought even in a tactical race that we would get beat uh, by the likes of um peter rono what i mean by that is if you've if you've got somebody who you've you've beaten consistently 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 you don't want to suddenly turn up the olympic games and, and have the tables overturned he ran a very smart race uh I certainly ran a stupid race, got myself in a right mess at the bell, which is not the time in a slow. It, it wasn't super slow. It was picking up the pace, uh, but I just was in a bad place position. It wasn't normal. I hadn't been concentrating. And, and, um, I think lack of fitness didn't help because your confidence isn't as high. It took me too long to get out. And I was chasing, chasing, as we all were, um, in the last 200 and I finished fourth. Uh, it's still to this day is not a race I can really look back on. Um, <laughs> I, I, I sort of have to be, you bury it, which is what a lot of top people do. You you you, you know what you did wrong. Um, you can't dwell on it. You know, you have to kind of learn from that, but not but not um, overanalyze it. You know, if it was very simple and straightforward, what I did wrong. So if I'd had the chance to uh, do it again, don't have a bad tactical race in the Olympic final, uh, particularly for me as it turned out to be my last one, because I was injured uh, come 92. So that was a bit of a shame. But... Um, Right, next one. We're going back to commentary here. What's your favorite piece of your own commentary? Uh oh, that's hard, isn't it? It's like asking a, it's like asking an artist what his favorite painting is. Um not that I'm trying to say that I paint <laughs> pictures with words or anything. Um for for a long time, oddly enough, it was one of my first big commentaries for for with the BBC. Um people might not remember this, but Marion Jones won the 100 meters in um, Sydney by, by a, a, a decent margin that you wouldn't expect until we start to see Bolt doing his thing, the 100 meters in was pretty close and, and Marion went by a fair way. And oddly enough, uh, and it's only because this now looked, you know a year later, it looked like a really insightful piece of commentary because I think I said, wow, you're not supposed to win by that much. And it's an odd line to say, you know, at an Olympic Games, I think, but it, it, it was because it was at the Olympic Games. And, and normally you don't win by that much at the Olympics. But of course, everyone afterwards inferred it once we found out she'd been involved in, in um, uh, with her partner, the whole drug setup that, that people might remember around that and uh, went on for two, three years. And then that result was rescinded. And um, everyone said, oh, Crammy knew what, what he was talking about. You know, it was, it was an inference. It, it actually wasn't. Uh, but it, it, it stuck with me for quite a long time um, as, a, as a piece of commentary, which, which seemed to be... Um, it, it wasn't meant to be, but it, it it told a slightly wider story, if you like. Um, and I think that that's, would be up there. I've already mentioned Mo Farah in, t- in, in 2012, um, which, which was just the best one to do. It was just the best... Uh, I sort of knew Bren wasn't going to be doing any more um, Olympics. I wasn't proposing to. We were working together. Everyone was on their feet. The noise was incredible. Um, you know, there, there was there was a little bit of a sense of Mo was the favourite. We, we thought he would win, but nonetheless, you know, you, anything can happen. So um, I, I'd probably say that Marion Jones thing for slightly different reasons to Mo, but, but maybe, maybe, we'll, maybe we'll tip a hat to Mo, to Mo in 2012. Uh, next question is bit with daft One, do you know who Laura Waitman's coach is? I think this is slightly tongue in cheek, which is fine. Uh, it, it is quite difficult for Laura and, and me. You know, I'm commentating on one of our top Britain's top athletes and, and she races regularly and on the, and the circuit and all the rest of it. And it's a natural thing to, um, to uh, if I've got that insight as a coach, that you know, it's, it's quite hard to kind of step back and and commentate when she's in a race, and be watching the race, and not just Laura's performance and mentioning it. And inevitably, my colleagues on, at the Beeb uh, tend to mention it uh, probably way too much. So it, if it gets on people's nerves, I apologise. That's the way it is. Sorry. Um, and you know, it's. It, it, I think for both Laura and I, over the years, we've we've had to try and sort of work with that. Um, and you know, it, it's 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 it's. People sometimes ask me, "Do you do you like commentating on Laura's races?" And the answer is yes, uh, because when I'm not commentating a race she's in, I'm watching it purely as a coach, and I get a bit more stressed about it, uh, perhaps. Uh, whereas when you're commentating and she's, you know, if she's in contention, that's one thing. But if she's a little bit further back, there's you know Kenyans, Ethiopians pushing on at the front, uh, but I'm watching her performance as well a little bit. You can't really do that. You've got to con, you know, you've got to concentrate on the race so sometimes i have to watch it back again afterwards so it it takes away a little bit of the stress uh that most coaches go through um but but uh yeah we 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 hopefully try and manage that reasonably well as i said apologize if people find that a bit a bit irksome um what do you make of the new crop of british distance runners yeah i'm not quite sure what do you mean by new crop um I think we've always had good distance runners. I think we've had a few periods where we've, you know, depending on, on on the strengths in different events, uh, you know, you can look at in the women's events, uh, obviously Paula and Kelly and you know two are all-time greats, and they were followed by people like Lisa DeBrisky and Hannah England and Jenny Meadows indoors in particular. And you know, we've 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 had a um we've never we've never sort of gone away. Um and obviously people like Joe Pavey have been around that, but I think since since about 2012, uh, on the women's side, you know uh, Laura Muir, I guess Laura uh, Waitman, and in, in 1500 and in the other events, the, the um, people like Gemma Riky coming in, and others who've you know we've we've what we've managed to do in some respects is to, to is to get a good strong cohort where the where the really good ones are helping other ones, but they're being pushed as well by by others coming through. So it's been competitive to get in the British team, so if it's hard to get in the British 1,500-meter team, men or women, it lifts the level. And for a little while on the men's side, it wasn't as difficult to get in the team. Women's 800, women's 1,500, tough to get in the team, standards up there, people running, you know, four or five women running under under two minutes, you know, three or four women running close to four minutes or under 1,500 meters. The men, were. it took a little longer. And I think while we've had, um, <clears throat> you know, Andy Whiteman or Michael East or you'll know, go back to John Mayock or whatever you're know, following on from the from the 80s if you like. We've we've had individuals and things, but we've struggled sometimes to get a group of athletes together. So the great thing now is we do uh, seem to have a bunch of guys who've who've grown up with each other a little bit Charlie and Jake and um I guess even Elliot Giles um uh obviously Josh Kerr's been over in, in in America um you know you've got and they've been driving, you know, Mo's helped an awful lot. So people like Andy Butchart, Mark Scott now, you know, this. So the level is, you know, get, uh, as, as happened in the 80s, you, know, you get people setting a, a much higher standard and a higher bar that everyone wants to try and aspire to. And they push each other on. And also, I think, you know, we've, we've been able to, uh, not everywhere, not in, in it, to, it would be too long a question to answer, but we've, We've got a bit better at sharing information. We still could do an awful lot more um, and work together a lot more, but but, there's, there's um, uh, there's, I guess, more knowledge around that's been shared, if you like. um, And that's been a help as well. We want to convert them into medals, though, don't we? You know, we want to convert that into Olympic and, and, and world medals. And uh, we're not far away from that now. And let's, let's hope this year that, um, that we can manage to do that with a bit of luck. OK. Um, which middle-distance athlete compete now would you like to compete against during your period on the track? <laughs> Depends on whether you want to beat them or get beat by them. Um, I would love to be running against um, Jakob Ingebrigtsen. Um, I know the Inga Britons reasonably well, particularly their dad, um, Henrik, who came along first. And the Norwegians have a, a strong bond to, back to what we were doing in the 80s. A lot of them certainly uh, um, as a family. I think dad's kind of talked a lot about you know, the big meets in Oslo over the years, back in the 70s and the 80s. And you know Norwegian stars as well from Greta Weitz and Ingrid Christensen and the rest of it and the Brits. So they've got a good kind of grounding in it. So uh, on the time and occasions that I've met them, probably Jakob's the one who's more of more uh, distanced from it. Uh, but I always enjoy meeting them and chatting to them on the circuit. And I enjoy watching him in particular. He's a very aggressive runner. Um, and I would have loved... You know, I I was a little bit the same. You know, you didn't sit and kick always. You know, you had to sometimes. Certainly, if you don't possess quite the same speed, you've got to take things on and move things on. Um, And he's got a good racing brain, Uh, so he's the sort of guy I think I would have genuinely liked to have run against, um, pit myself up against him. Um, uh, He's only going to get better though, isn't he? (laughs) He seems to be. Uh, So maybe I should have picked picked the time. You know, racing when he was eighteen and nineteen, not when he's. Let's see what he does when he's 24 25. Can't wait. Okay, um, <laughs> Do you know what? this is a, the, the, this one, it's about masters athletics. So it says here so this, this for those of you uh, who uh, have got calculators will you know I turned 60 in 2020, uh, October 2020. So it says here the master's world records for the 800, the 1500, and the mile for age 60. I didn't know this. Are there really the world records? 2.8, 800, 4.24, 1500 and 4.49 for the mile. Does Steve think he can break a world record? Uh, no. And uh, why does he think that not many top-class athletes continue racing in the Masters? Well, I'll answer the second, the first bit through the second bit. The You know, when you... When you've been a top-class athlete and you've been training for 20 years at that level, uh, you know, I had 17 years as, a, as an international athlete, started, you know, went to Commonwealth Games when I was 17, quit when I was sort of 34. Um, it's, it, it's a big physical effort and you carry a lot of that then into the rest of your life. The, the, the nothing debilitating or anything for me, but, um, you know, the high intensity of training is something which you very quickly let go Uh, partly because of the the physical uh, requirements but also then mentally as well you know it's a it's a fantastic world to be in but uh, but it's it drains you as well good and bad and it's nice when you step out of that world for a while and you don't really want to go back into it and I always did think that you know when I was in the athletic club when I was 12 13 14 and then and then you start doing things and you compete in a higher level and as i said go at commonwealth games when you're 17 you think yeah i'll do this and even when i'm when i'm not an international anymore i'll i'll still be going to harrier leagues cross country and i'll run some road races and this and that and the other and and, and run on the track and it just doesn't happen particularly the track bit um and and mainly because i don't have any desire to i mean the, the, you're only getting slower and you know that's that's quite unmotivating, uh, demotivating. It's the right description of that. So you you have to kind of find your way to. I, it took me a long time to work out what I wanted to do with running, or you know, where where it sat in my life apart from work, commentating, and the rest of it. It was. Um, I, I ran a couple of marathons early on because I hadn't done them in my career for fun, charity, whatever. I quite like that. Just go further. I actually ran Comrades Marathon. which was 55 miles. And I quite like the idea of I don't have to time this. I don't I've got nothing to compare it to in my in my career. So that was OK. And then, of course, you just can't keep doing that. And I didn't have the time. And, you know, because as soon as you've done two or three of them, you then start thinking, oh, uh, well I'm not going to run faster for the marathon, I think I around 2.36 in the London Marathon in 9.99, um running for McMillan. and uh, you know th- that was off 25 miles a week great but it actually wasn't it was off 20 years of running but you, you understand what I'm saying I would have had to then do 30 miles a week or 50 miles a week or 60 miles a week if I wanted to get any quicker as I turned 50 and that wasn't going to happen um I have been running a fair bit more in in the last year, or so partly because of lockdown. Um, I've been a little bit better looking after myself as well in terms of just my legs, allowing them to take a bit more time um, to build up. So I have done a bit more in some miles more recently. So um, could I break a world record? 4.49 for the mile. I think I last year, uh, I jokingly bet, uh, Ross Murray those of you who listen to podcasts might know remember Ross uh and listen to Ross and he did bet me that I couldn't run a 540 mile I think I ran 541 with Laura's help I think with a bit of track work I could do I could probably knock 20 30 seconds off that with a bit of preparation a bit of track work It would take months I'm not sure I really want to do it so world record no um and I and yes I'll I'm I will run some 10 k's and half marathons and and the rest of it but uh, I won't be putting myself in the master's category to be counted for any records or prizes because I'm nowhere near um do you train athletes uh who do the same distance but have different strengths and weaknesses the same I do I don't have a big training group partly because I don't really have the time I'm a firm believer that you know, if you're going to coach somebody, you have to be, a, you've got to be able to give time and energy to them. And I have a limited amount and therefore I've been quite choosy. Uh, I don't mean that in a bad way. Uh, it's just that I would love to coach more. I'd love to be probably even doing it almost all the time because it's so much fun and I really enjoy it. Um, as most coaches will know, though, it doesn't pay so, you know, and that's not why you do it. You do it because you love doing it. And I do love doing it, but I've got lots of other things I'm still doing as well. So until I have more time, uh, I can't do too much more. So I've always had just two or three people. Um, and yes, all athletes have different strengths and weaknesses and, and particularly in distance running, middle distance running, you have to, you have to work with what that athlete brings to it. Um, you know, what their attributes are what their background is how you know that what they've done before you start coaching them you know where they want to go what they want to do you, you i'm a big believer you know athletes have got to like what they're doing they've got to, i mean it's hard work and, and can be stressy at times but you know if you if you're not enjoying running 5000 meters and then, then don't run 5000 meters you know if, if yes people always gravitate to the events that they, that they that they think they're good at but you also have to like it as well you know you have to like your event so you've got to find out what you know the best event for people or the best range of events, and then try and work out with them. And that takes a little bit of time. You have you get to know an athlete, you get to know what what you know what they're good at, what they're not so good at, where the weaknesses are, work on them. But you have to do that in balance with not ignoring the things that they're actually good at as well. So um, you know, coach. I, mean, I enjoy coaching because there, there is that. That aspect of it is the best bit, really. It's, it's trying to work out a plan, you know, and then I think the good coaches, that's what they do. They they, work, they, they really get to know their athlete physically and, and mentally and, and work with that athlete. And then and that relationship changes over a period of time, or it should change over a period of time, um, if it's to be fruitful on an ongoing basis. It's, I always think it's much easier to coach a young athlete because they are very coachable at that point it's it, it gets increasingly difficult to coach very mature athletes who have been you know know it have done it know themselves quite well as well. Um, so that's how you have to be able to allow a, a coach athlete relationship to to mature and change, uh, and and the emphasis will change a lot, uh, and that's the fun of it. You know that's 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 what makes it fun. Uh, well, I'm doing on time. I'm just conscious of time as well. But uh, the next one's about uh, a youngster asking me one, which is about uh, working on kick in 800 metres. It comes back to the coaching thing. Um, best tactic for a final push. The stronger you are, the more you can use your speed. If, you, if you've if you got speed, you've got to kick, great. But you can't use your speed if you can't keep up. So 1,500 metres, don't forget some endurance events. So be as strong as you can, endurance, and then you can use your kick. It's a, a simple answer. Um should 800-1500-metre athletes do short speed sessions from a standing start or rolling start? For me, rolling start, uh, the only time you do a standing start in an 800 1500 meters is at the start of the race, and that's the slowest bit of the race. Uh, for me, when you're training and you're working hard, a rolling start just stops that, that you know, a, a, the, the push off the line. You do that 10, 15, 20 times in a rep session, you don't need to practice that. Sprinters need to practice starts, 1500 uh, meter runners don't a big thing, avoiding injury. And for me, a gentle rolling start uh, just allows you, Your know, coach can start watch. So so it's a tenth of a second quicker. It doesn't really matter. You, you you know what your reps are. But from an injury prevention point of view, for me, rolling start always. Uh, median rate and increase of training volume for young middle distance runners by age. Wow. Uh, you probably need an algorithm for that. There'll be one out there to uh, work it out. I think the short answer is everybody's different. So I can't really say, you know, because one 15-year-old will have done an awful lot more than another 15-year-old. All I would say is you you have to build, you build volume as well as you build intensity. The two things aren't, aren't mutually exclusive. Everyone tends to think just about building volume. I prefer to, to do those two things together. And the best way to do it is not in a kind of linear progression. You'll, you'll tend to load a bit more consolidate at that level, then you can load a bit more, you consolidate at that and you load a bit more. That's really going to depend on the individual um, and what they can cope with and what they've done before. It's not a numbers game. Um, you know, you, you have to really try to to work with the athlete, listen to them and, and, and see what you're getting back in terms of performance as well and be patient. You know, it takes 10 years to really build an endurance background um or can take that sort of time if, if you if you start from absolute scratch um what advice would you give to people to help them become a world-class athlete like yourself <laughs> um start with some good genes <laughs> uh, that helps um no you know look uh, there are so many people who think that this is all about talent and ability and of course that helps but there's an awful lot of people who uh, who you know, have talent and ability and don't do anything with it and others who have maybe not so much. You can't really, it's not easy to measure that stuff. I mean, we can't, we know a little bit more these days, but there's so many uh, folks out there who never find out how good they can be. So it's about, it really is about that consistent approach to something. You know, I've just said it takes 10 years um, of running, you know, to get to a, to a, a place from the age of 13 14 to 23 24 and you might not still get to your best until you're 25 26 27 you're constantly loading one thing on top of another and just most people aren't in in it for the long journey you know most people want uh, you know along that journey you're going to get lots of knockbacks you're going to get lots of times when things aren't going well it's those who keep going you know and if i had a penny for everyone who said they used to run with me or against me when i was 12 13 14 15 um but they stopped and I wasn't winning you know there there was other people ahead of me and things I'm not I'm not kind of saying that that um I wasn't good of course I was but there were lots of other good people around and things you know things just happen in our lives that 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 uh, particularly when we're young that 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 just get in the way a little bit or you get injured it's hard to get back and so it's that consistent persistent approach that you'll find most athletes um have followed um and I know you've probably heard this a thousand times, but sadly, that is, that is the truth of it. There are some absolute super talented people out there, Usain Bolt and, and others who, you know, um, but he trained, you know, he still trained and he still had to go through the various steps that he went through from his junior career. And he was this incredible junior. But, you know, that, that's everybody. There are no shortcuts. That, that's the basic thing. Um, stick at it. Um, if nothing else, you're going to be much better than you were even if you don't become a world-class athlete.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Ask the Athlete. If you love what you heard, then please subscribe to the podcast. It means you'll be notified when a new episode is out and you can also like and leave a review. And if you've got inspired or just really want to listen to it on a walk, jog or while training, then please share it with others as it may make a difference to them. Stay tuned for next week's episode, but until then, goodbye.